If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. On today's episode, I'm sitting down with Brian Clayton. He's the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for Lawn Care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 200,000 active users, completing thousands of transactions per day. Before starting GreenPal, Brian Clayton founded Peachtree Incorporated, one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over $10 million a year in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. Brian's interests and expertise are related to entrepreneurialism, small business growth, marketing, and bootstrapping businesses from zero revenue to profitability and exit. I loved this episode. I know you will as well. Let's get to my conversation with Brian. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Build Your Network podcast. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Eric, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really glad to have you on and uh, to talk about, I mean, everything that you're doing, which is really exciting. But first and foremost, let's go back to the very beginning. How did you get started in the world of landscaping? If that is the beginning, was there another path attempted before that? Was that your first foray into business? Uh, yeah. Back to the, the early years. Yeah. So I'm CEO, co-founder of a company called GreenPal, which is the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner, need to get your grass cut, you just download our app, pop your address in. Somebody comes and mows the yard for you. GreenPal is a 10-year overnight success. My two co-founders and I have been at this for, for almost a decade. Now we're nationwide in the United States, several hundred thousand people using the app. But before all of that, I actually had a landscaping business. I started mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash and stuck with that lawn mowing business all through high school, all through college. And when I graduated college, I had to make a decision. Was I going to go into the job market or stick with this landscaping business I had. I didn't really want to be a lawn guy my whole yeah. life, but I thought, you know, this could be my lane. This could be the thing that, that could help me uh, level up in life. And I made a business plan with what little I learned in, in business school and just worked my butt off and built a great team around me and ended up building one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live, got it over 150 employees, $10 million a year in revenue. And in the 2013, the business was acquired by one of the a large nationwide company. And after that, I took some time off, went to like a self-reflection period, figured out that I wanted to be in the game, wanted to get back into business and thought, well, what now? And the idea for GreenPal came to me and I thought, you know, someone's going to build this. It might as well be me. And it was kind of naivete as an asset, but recruited two co-founders. We went to work and never looked back. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, first of all, when you read landscaping company and you see $10 million next to it, that's a pretty mind blowing number. But I, I want to go back to the mindset in the very beginning of that, because facing the decision of, okay, I've got this high school job of landscaping, which is a pretty normal one. You know, that's something that a lot of people pursue. My, one of my first ways I made money was mowing lawns, you know, at the church that I grew up at. So that's a common path. Did you have a lot of feedback 
when you said, hey, maybe this is my lane? Did you have people going, don't do that. It's not going to be profitable. Pursue, you know, all the other traditional career paths that people usually talk about. Yeah, I think looking back, there might be correlation between the least glamorous and sexy your idea, the greater your chances of success. And so for me, you know, it's, it was never a glamorous business and it was never one that I was, you know, just excited about, but yeah. I was able to, to do math and I was able to figure out, okay, I have five employees now. If I can get to 10, I can double revenue and, and I can reinvest those, that capital in my business and get it to 20. And then I know I get to 50 after that. And so I was able to kind of work my way backwards uh, from what an eight figure business was and where I was at that stage of the game. And then the other thing too is back in those days, we didn't have podcasts. We didn't have YouTube university. You didn't have a lot of these ways you could learn online, but I was able, I did go to p conferences for our industry and I was able to observe what a $75 million landscaping conglomerate in Chicago looked like mm -hmm. and, and how they ran their systems and, and what they were doing. And I was able to abstract that away and apply that to Nashville, Tennessee, where I lived and the competition wasn't as fierce. And so quite frankly, was able to just, just outwork my competitors, build a better business than they were building and build a big business in a non-glamorous industry. And it worked for me. You know, yeah. whereas if I had gone after some other more glamorous types of businesses, I may never have gotten traction. Right, right. Well, I mean, what you could have done back then was I'm going to jump into building some kind of technology or I'm going to go into building. So, which you ultimately did end up doing. I mean, you ended up building software, but like the way that you built it, like you said, 10 year overnight success, that's a great way to do it. It's this incremental yeah. growth. Kind of breaking that down, how quickly was it from taking the jump to hiring your first person, which is such a huge step to, you know, growing to 150 employees. Was this something where the first year or two, it was just you and two other people, three other people, and then you had rapid growth. Was it bringing on a significant amount of people each year? Like how rapid was that growth? Yeah, it's almost looking back like a video game. You got 10 levels of Super Mario Brothers and you just focus on one level at a time and right. maybe even like hiring your first employee level. And because, you know, you're essentially doubling your business in, in yeah. one swoop. And so that was a big step in figuring out how to get the economics uh, right in terms of, okay, I'm paying this person, whatever, 50 grand a year. How do I not only get that money back, but make it unit economic positive for business? And nobody teaches us these things. Yeah. Nobody teaches us these things in high school or college. And so you kind of have to figure it out as you go. And so that was a big step. And then figuring out, okay, how do I get two and three and four and five employees and keep them? And just working my way through these metaphorical levels of the video game and, and quite frankly, doing it wrong, every which way you could do it wrong until I did it right, was how I kind of just figured it out as I went. And then that helped me avoid a lot of mistakes yeah. when I started GreenPal. You know, I was able sure. to do it right the first time almost. So for a service-based business, that's it's hard. A yeah. book that I like is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. And that book really kind of talks about what a small business goes through in terms of building out an org chart for a business. And you literally like put your name on every role. Like, you know, there's head of operations, head of marketing, head of, you know, chief technician, head of R&D, and it's your name on every role. And then as time goes on, you peel your name off role and assign them to other employees, contractors, freelancers. And that's kind of how it made sense for me. You know, I wish I had that book 20 years ago. It would have saved me a lot of time. Right, right. Well, I, you said there was a lot of wrong in the beginning. And obviously, people who are listening to us who are in the stage you were, 
back in this period, you know, the people that are saying, hey, I'm just getting started, looking to hire my first few people, they might want to know what some of those wrongs were uh, so they can avoid those and learn from those mistakes. What were some of the biggest things that stood out where you go like, that was a huge mistake I made early on that if I had known what I know now, I would have totally approached it differently, whether that's hiring, whether that's how you're going about expanding in other ways. What were some of those that stand out? Yeah, understanding, first off, roles and goals. So this is the role I'm hiring for, and this is these are the goals of that role and how we measure success and how we grade people by if they're succeeding or failing in that role. And, you know, a lot of times in, in a business, it's just organized chaos and you're just literally throwing bodies at a mm-hmm. And you can't do that because that's, you know, you're going to wake up one day and, and you're not going to be able to make payroll because you didn't really think through okay, not only this is the role I'm putting this person in, this is the economics behind that and how they're going to help us increase sales or fill orders and how we're going to be able to bring more money back into the business by hiring this person versus, oh, we can't get to everything. We must need more people. And, and so really looking at it from that paradigm and understanding, okay, I'm delegating this task to this person from a standpoint of stewardship. I understand that this is what they need to do and how they need to do it. Versus a standpoint of, of delegation from abjuration, which is, I, don't, I can't handle everything. I need more help. And right. then you just throw somebody in there and, and there's yeah. no way to, to understand are they succeeding or failing. And if you're making money or losing money. Mm-hmm. And most small businesses, when they hire their first one, two, three, five employees, it's from a standpoint of, I can't handle everything. I need more yeah. help. I haven't and left in years. Yeah. Let's <laughs> just bring people in. Right. And, and you really can't approach that way. That's a recipe for disaster. The E-Myth is a, is a, 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 talks a lot about that. And then when you're uh, recruiting people, you have to almost look at like your customers, you have a value proposition, for, but also your employees. You have to have a value proposition for your employees. Why, if I'm the ideal prospect employee for your business, why would I come work for you versus anybody else? And the answer always starts with one word, because you let me work four days a week and I get three days a week off and I can make more per hour with you guys and I can somebody else. And you also have this incentive plan in place where I can work my ass off and, and make 30% more than your competitors. And it always starts with because. So going through that exercise of if I'm your ideal team, teammate, your ideal prospect to come work for you, why would I work with you over anybody else? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I- Look, I mean, you obviously brought this company to an amazing point, got acquired and, you know, now working with with GreenPal, what was kind of the idea behind that stepping into, you know, a realm that was unknown at that point? I have to imagine that wasn't something that you knew a lot about getting into the software space. How did you decide to make that jump? Was there a lot of nervous emotion around that, stepping into an arena that you couldn't necessarily wrap your mind around completely at the time. What, where were you at that point? It was a very much an exercise of faith and it was scary because I didn't know how to build software. I'd never built a software product before. All I had was my ambition and a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> and I recruited two co-founders that kind of had the same attitude. You know, all three of us were sufficiently motivated to do whatever it took to, to make this thing happen but none of us knew how to code. So ideally you get a hacker and a hustler together. You know, you get somebody who knows the tech side and you get somebody who can just drive the business forward. And we didn't have that. We had three hustlers. And so we had to learn how to code, how to build software on our own as we were going through the process of building this platform. It was very challenging, but I'm glad we went through it because it it made us better founders. It made us better entrepreneurs. It was, and we acquired skills we never in a million years would have learned. And that was a cool thing. Yeah. But I was kind of at the all the, the along the whole way, I 
I was solving my own problem. I, I saw this problem exists in the analog world for 15 years, where if you are a homeowner and you just need to get a basic lawn mowing service, it's really actually a lot harder than you would think. You have to make a dozen phone calls, leave a bunch of voicemails, hope somebody comes out and looks at it, gives you a price, and then you hire them and then you hope they show up. And then you got to like leave a check under the mat or like Venmo them and and hope and they should do a good job. Yeah. Hope they do a good job. And it's, and it's, and, it, and I saw this every day running my first company. And so I knew the, I knew that somebody was going to build this app. I knew somebody was going to build the platform to solve all of these problems. I figured, you know, why not, why not me? Yeah. And so the problem we were solving a decade ago, which is push a button, you get a great lawn mowing service to come do a great job for you. And payment is just seamless. And then you push another button and it just happens for the rest of the lawn mowing season, like clockwork. That was the vision a decade ago, and that's still what we're working on today, making that faster, smoother, cheaper, more reliable, more consistent, allowing pros to make more money with less hassle than they can in the analog world. That's what we're working on. We've spent a decade working on this one thing, and now we're nationwide in the United States with a few hundred thousand people using the app. You mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, you mentioned naivete as an asset, which I love. Like that's such a funny way to put it. And there is this element of like, I think if we knew everything down the line, we would never do anything because there's so many scary obstacles and things that we don't know how to overcome. But what's the balance there between stepping out on faith, doing this thing that you believe in versus, you know, taking time outside of your business to get education, to learn how to do things, to, you know, become immersed in the thing that you're doing, you know, without just being in the day-to-day grind. Cause we've talked about that. I mean, when people get to the point where they're just in their business 24 hours a day, it becomes very hard to see anything except for what's in front of you. So how much time did you allot to educate yourself outside of just learning by doing in your business? Yeah, I think in, founding a business, growing and scaling a company, you're doing three things at once at all times. So the the three things are working in the business. So it's making sure it runs on time, making sure people are showing up, making sure that customers are happy, making sure orders are fulfilled. And then you're working on the business. What are the systems, processes? What's my recruitment system? What's my employee training system? What's my customer satisfaction system? What's my marketing system? Working on the business. And then the third thing, working on yourself. What books am I reading around leadership, management? What's my leadership style? How am I, how am I going to lead this team and preserve the culture? I need, to read, I need to pick up a book on culture. Or maybe I'm trying to drive a sales campaign. I need to study copywriting for three months and become a decent copywriter. Or maybe I'm trying to like build a, a mobile app and I need to learn how to code. You're working on yourself. And so I think going from zero to one in business, it's a seven day of commitment. And literally maybe Monday through Friday is working in the business, just holding it together. Saturday might be working on the business, looking at the processes and focusing on just one, one system and, and honing it and making it better. And then maybe a Sunday is five, six, seven hours of working on yourself. Maybe you're reading a hundred pages of a book. You're watching something on YouTube university. You're listening to a podcast like this one. Uh, you're doing all three at the same time in order to level up and play the game. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates 
fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, that's huge. It's overwhelming and it's a lot of time, you know, like it's even within my own work. I mean, I, obviously I'm working on Guestio with, and then I'm working on things in my own business. I'm working on multiple podcasts and it's, you know, it just forces you to find extra hours in the day to try to do this stuff. Um, what was the biggest thing for you that was helpful? I know you mentioned reading and you mentioned listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos, which man, I can't overstate how much value there is out there. Like it's and, how, I, and how underappreciated it is. Uh, yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. And you mentioned just now find time. It's like to play this game. And I've learned this the hard way. You know, your car is going to have to become a mobile classroom. Your living room is going to have to become a classroom. You know, right. you're, you're not going to know what's going on with the hottest new Netflix series because you're watching stuff on YouTube, you know, trying to like get up speed. And the crazy thing is, is all the information is out there. Half the battle is wading through the stuff that's either not relevant mm -hmm. or not good yeah. and really keying in. And and then the other thing is really dialing into who is doing or who has already done what it is you're trying to do. So while guys like Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk are, are great, but they're not going to really teach you the things you need to know at a granular level to do whatever it is you're trying to do. So, you know, in, in, in my case, you know, starting a, mar a marketplace for lawn mowing services, I was really trying to learn from practitioners of other marketplaces, you know, like people that founded DoorDash, the people that founded Uber, you know, the people that founded, uh, you know, WAG and Rover, which is a marketplace for dog walking. Like there's all kinds of things I can learn from these other founders and their keynote talks and presentations at conferences are on YouTube or blog posts that they've written or really people on their team that have talked about how they, you know, how they went from 10 million in revenue to a billion. And uh, I was watching a conference keynote the other day from a guy who was a growth marketer at Uber about how they deployed a billion dollars of capital in, in paid marketing. And he's sitting there literally talking about all of the things they did at a tactical yep. level. And then I look down, this video has 23 views. Yeah. I'm the 24th person to view this. <laughs> right. And so it's insane. Like, like the, the stuff's out there. 
It yeah. just takes time to wade through the stuff that's not a good fit and to really key in on stuff that is a good fit. And the reality is, it's just, you got to dedicate the time to it. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of our trainings, we talk about what makes good content, you know? And so we talk about, you know, it could be inspirational, motivational, actionable, genuine, and engaging. Preferably all your content will hit all of those marks. But one of the things that I've noticed, you mentioned like a Tony Robbins or Gary V, which I love Gary V. I don't listen to a lot of Tony Robbins, but I'm a huge Gary V fan, but he falls a lot on inspiration, motivation. Like if I'm sitting there on a Monday morning at 6 a.m., I'll yep. be listening to Gary V say, you know, go, you know, go to it, you know, in, in the way that Gary would say it. And, you know, it's very inspiring. It fires me up. But Gary Vee's not a pro podcaster. He's not someone who's, you know, running a, a company like what we're trying to run. And so you can sit there fired up with no game plan to now what do I do with that? And yeah. so I agree with the, what you say, like when it comes to being actionable, you know, launching our new show. You know, I wasn't watching the guys that everyone knows the name of the people that oh, are, exactly. you know, that the main guy. That's uh, how, you know, you've keyed in when nobody yeah. else knows who the hell these people are. Right. Then you've gone down the long tail enough to learn from somebody who's doing this stuff. Exactly. Because it's, it's not sexy. Like, no, like, no. Like, I've learned a lot from affiliate marketers who whose sole like mission in life is to get traffic to their yeah. website to then sell leads to somebody else. Now, yeah. I'm not an affiliate business but I do need to get traffic to my business and I right. can learn from these guys. And to your point, like, like an hour on the treadmill, watching a presentation from, from some guys talking about affiliate marketing is boring as hell. I'd rather watch something entertaining yeah. like Gary V or, exactly. or Tony Robbins and get fired up, but I can't really do anything with that. I need to, I need the, the tactical knowledge that these guys are talking about. So I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I was watching uh, one guy I became obsessed with because we were focused on YouTube strategy. And one of the guys I was watching, his name's Hillier Smith, which again, who the hell is that? <laughs> Everybody who's listening. But he's he edits for like Logan Paul and like a lot of big YouTubers and talks about how to retain people. That's it's, the guy he, you want. Yeah, he presents it in a, he does do a good job of preventing it or presenting it in a sexy way, but it's still not super sexy information. Like I'm not saying they're going like, yeah, let's do it. But I've seen some of it that I've applied and I've gotten little wins that have been directly tracked back to that. So it's finding those people that can give you the information you need, not just the motivation. <laughs> There's plenty right. yeah, of, that's half plenty the of that. battle. Yeah. That's right. half the battle. It takes almost just as much time learning it as it does finding the people that you really need to seek out to learn from that are practitioners of this stuff that can mentor you asynchronously. Yeah. There's probably 20 people that have mentored me over the last decade who've never met me. Uh, but who have helped me get to where I am. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't mention like YouTube, which again, people way over us underestimate, you know, how much value is truly out there. And, and there's answers to literally anything that you could possibly ask. But, you know, like you said, there's a lot of noise and sometimes you want to fast pass it through some of that stuff. Have you spent money in mentorships, coaching, masterminds, anything like that to kind of cut through the noise, get straight into a training on certain topics? Or do you think that's not always a great investment? I think I have. So there's some people that say you should be spending 10 grand a year on coaching or classes. A lot of times it's those same people that also selling knowledge products that's, that, that, that espouse that. So, so on the one hand, so I have though. So on the one hand, like if you have keyed in on somebody who's putting out a bunch of free content, and maybe they're getting you 80% of the way there, but then they have a paid product to get you the other 20% and you've gotten value from the 80. In my opinion, you almost owe them the money. And so you should, you should probably put down the thousand bucks or 500 bucks for their course to get the other 20. But 
don't just fall for every one of these pitches until you've cons- if you haven't consumed the 80 and you're just putting down a thousand dollars here and there went, went off of a pitch. And because that's a good way to waste a lot of time and money because the majority of the stuff out there is not good and it's not, and it could, you know, almost be classified as a scam. So my opinion is, is like, get to know somebody if they're willing to put out the stuff uh, that gets you 80% of the way there for free. And you really like their style, you like their techniques, the processes, their philosophies, then spend the money to go the rest of the way with them would be my advice. And I have, but I'm not also of the camp of just blindly, you know, putting down tens of dollars. Getting a Facebook ad and clicking like, yeah, Yeah. let's sign up. Yeah. Yeah. I like you, Brian. I I agree with you on so much of what you're saying. And that's something that, that's how I've looked at it too, is at the point I'm purchasing someone's course or training, you know, to me, it's almost like a tip. I owe you this money. Yeah. yeah. And that's for me, like I said, with Hillier, for example, I don't know if he does courses or anything. He could easily get me enrolled in one if he's listening, but hit me up. But but it's one of those things where, like you said, if you're getting actionable little wins from somebody's content, you know, which also, I mean, it's a whole nother conversation, but we go through entire books where if we applied something in the first chapter, it could totally transform our business. We don't spend enough time really diving in and trying the things that we're learning. But yeah, I think if you're getting someone who's giving you all the value that they can in their free content, their paid content's probably pretty good. If someone paywalls everything, I have a lot of questions about whether there's something actually there or if it's a Wizard of Oz, you know, man behind the curtain situation there. Yeah, it's a really good point. And then on the flip side, personally, I'm not a coach. I don't have an info product, but people who who are listening to this who do, maybe look at it from that standpoint, from that paradigm of, I'm going to give away 80, 90% of my knowledge for free and that way, half or more of the people who do business with me are literally doing it from a benevolent point of view, who mm-hmm. literally are just paying me because I've given so much value to them. And then they're getting the last mile of what it is I have to offer. That might be the best strategy to, to go about it. The yeah. few times I've put down money for a course, that was the dynamic. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I know you said you're not a coach, but I'm going to put the coach's hat on you for just a second. You've obviously been in business for a while. You've had success with both of your companies and have probably learned quite a bit. What are one or two things that imagining talking to yourself in the very beginning, what are one or two things that you wish you could have said to yourself at the start of your business that would have maybe even shaved years off of this process and this grind? Yeah, it's things that have made sense to me at this stage of the metaphorical video game is really understanding that your role as a founder is one of that of a capital allocator. So money comes in and then you are figuring out how to put money back out to work. And that is a lot. And a lot of times it's it's delegation. It's, It's getting the right employees on the team, freelancers, contractors, consultants on the team to help get you to the next level of the game. And I have made mistakes around delegation in terms of delegating too soon, meaning like, oh, I don't know how to handle this. It scares me. You handle it. And then it blowing apart because I didn't know how to do any of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's delegating too soon, like delegating from abdication. And then the other mistake is delegating too late. Whereas, oh, last time I tried to delegate this, it screwed up. So I'm going to do it myself for like four years. And now I don't have any help. And I could have moved a lot quicker. If I had just like learned it, set up a system, set up a process and then delegated. Yeah. Uh, so really going back and like, and taking a, I guess it would be a CD-ROM if I had to go back in time and give it to myself or, or maybe a three by five disc and, and having the knowledge around when do you delegate and when do you not? And a lot of times the only way to learn that is, is just through experience 
or, or have a lot of good mentors on your team that have been through that. And it could have saved me probably four or five years. This is why a lot of, a lot of first time founders, you know, they crash and burn. And then the second time, like they, they just, they move through it a lot quicker because a lot of the stuff you can only learn just by doing it wrong. Right. Should you always take some time to learn the basic foundation of each role? Or are you a believer that if it's not a strength, you know, this is the Gary Vee mentality. If it's not your strength, outsource it. Don't worry about it. Focus on your strength. Where do you line up in that? My philosophy is, is you should be pretty horizontal and wide and pretty good at a lot of different things. So like to use another video game as an analogy, back in the day, you had Super Mario Kart. And you had all these different drivers. You could choose Mario, Princess, Donkey Kong, Bowser, Toad. Every one of these drivers had like a really specific skill. Like Toad was really good around the corners. Bowser had the highest top end. Princess was the fastest accelerator. And then you had Mario, who was half-assed good at all of these things. <laughs> right. like, like he wasn't the, like the best driver if you were an expert at the game because you kind of needed to form your style of driving like around one of these skill sets. But, or the course. Like there was some drivers that are better at some course or, or at others. But if you were just getting started and learning the game, he was actually the best driver because he was pretty good at all this stuff. And so I think when you're starting a business and it's just you and like one person or two people, you need to be Mario. You need to be pretty good at copywriting. You need to be pretty good at product design. You'd be pretty good at sales, pretty good at engineering, pretty good at a lot of these things to where then you start to build out a team around you. You can do it from a standpoint of stewardship. Like this is how we do it here. This is why we do it this way. This is how we gauge your success. This is how much time we think it should take, how much it should cost. It's really impossible to know all those things if you haven't like at least gotten the 80-20 down in whatever it is. Love it. Be a Mario, especially if you're a plumber listening to this. It's a perfect role model. That might have uh, been uh, Mario's one thing that he was really good at was plumbing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, look, I got to ask you the question we ask everybody that comes on the show. Do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? You talked about the power of good partners. You've talked about educating yourself. Which of the two would you say is most important? I don't think it's who you know. I don't think it's what you know. I think it's what you've built. I think it's like, what have you done, accomplished, built? And a lot of times that transcends into who you know, that transcends into what you know. You know, if I've built uh, a prototype around this idea that I have and I've gotten 20 people to show it to and I've gotten this feedback, that's so much better than like knowing some person or reading some book. And so I think like what you've built will then transcend into who you know and what you know, because I see a lot of folks, you know, like, you know, it's like, Hit, well, they hit me up on LinkedIn or something. And I just want to pick your brain. And it's like, yeah, can I take you to lunch? I, I want to help you, but okay. So specifically, what have you, well, you know, I have this idea. It's like, okay, well, what is the idea? It's like the idea is worthless. Like the execution's everything. Whereas somebody that hits me up is like, hey, I've got this prototype or I've got this crappy thing I've built. I have 20 people using it. They love it for these reasons. And I'm thinking about taking it in this direction, but I don't know. I would love your advice on that. That's a much better stamp. Like, and then that transcends to now they know who I am. I know who they are. So I think it's, I think it's what you built. That's my yeah. What saying I want to pick your brain is the laziest reach out message ever. And it because it gives homework to the person you're reaching out to. Someone who's like, okay. Hold on. What yeah. now? You know, and it's like uh, right. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's so vague. I mean, someone who's sitting there running a company of any size, like especially. I mean, typically people are reaching out to someone who's on a level of a. John Maxwell or something, they're reaching out to these huge names, trying to get them to mentor them. And that's their request is, can I pick your brain? Like yeah. there's, first of all, for most people, it's like, check out my book or check out my course or check out all these articles I wrote. There's plenty of things there. It's if already you can out be there. specific, you have a much better chance of getting in. Exactly. 
Yeah. Well, I know we're here at the end of our time, so I want to take you into our random round. I want to ask you some quick fire questions, get your answers to them, and then we'll wrap up the show. First and foremost, what profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I would love to build skyscrapers and be a a big real estate developer. I don't know what it is uh, about that excites me, but whenever I see big, tall buildings under construction, I think that would be a lot of fun. Probably not. It's probably a a miserable (laughs) Probably really stressful. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, but it looks fun to me. So if I wasn't building software, I'd be doing some sort of uh, real classy real estate development. Love it. If you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be? And going back to like any specific, you know, oh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk might as well be on Mars compared to the life I'm living. So why am I going to waste his time? I would probably sit down with uh, Travis Kalanick, the founder of Uber. Super, super, super smart guy, brilliant guy. But I still think I could hold my own in a conversation and learn something from him. Although he, he, there's a new show on on Hulu coming out that doesn't paint him in a very good light. But I would still would like to spend an hour with him. Right, right. How do you like to learn best? Is it books, blogs, podcasts, videos? What's your favorite way to learn? Love podcasts that have a video component. I learn. I find I learn a lot from that. Books, but only when I apply the knowledge. Mm-hmm. and actually do it. You know, a lot of times I'll read a book and it just goes in one year out the other. And, and I'm starting to wonder, is it better to read 20 books in a year or, or just 10 books in a year? Is it better to read 10 books in a year or the same book, the same like two or three books over and over again? Like so I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Yeah. And so, but for me, my style is podcasts, video content, webinars, things like that, where I can, there's a visual component. I've, uh, I, I, that has helped me change the type of founder and entrepreneur that I am over the last 10 years more than anything. Give me a glimpse of your morning routine. First thing, get up, get the body moving. I think if you can walk, if you can move, it's your responsibility to take care of your your temple. So I try to do some sort of physical activity every morning, then try to get in a, a quick meditation session. And then I love, love coffee. I'll probably suck down three, four glasses or, or mugs of coffee. Uh, and then I'll just get into it. I'll try to get three or four good hours of work done. Then I hit the weights in the afternoon and then maybe work a little bit more after that. Maybe not. What's your go-to pump up song? Ooh, I, I like old school 50 cent. I was a young kid when that was coming up. When he was coming out, I was probably in my late teens, early twenties. So he's got a song called Hustler's Ambition that I like. I listen to it almost every time when I'm working out. Was that a, when you were Actually mowing the launch yourself was yeah. a go-to. That, that was a go-to. Yeah. yeah. I used to have a headset where I would listen to rap music all day while cutting grass. You got to do it. You got to <laughs> do it. What is something that you're not very good at? I'm not good at anything as it relates to spreadsheets, data analysis, really getting into like statistical analysis. I just hate that stuff, but I hire really smart people that are very expensive. And then when I meet with them, I got to have my ducks in a row. And I have to have done my part part of the job and in terms of being up to speed on what's going on. And so it's kind of like a forcing function. You know, it's like, I know I got to meet with this lady on Friday who's crunched the numbers and I know I got to uh, digest it and understand it. Yeah. So that's something that I do. I hire really expensive, really good people at what I'm not good at. And it forces me to do it, what I don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. That forced accountability is, is so exactly. big. And it, it is, it's something that a lot of people I think are scared of doing within their business is like, I don't want to be the lead, you know, the second smartest in the room, but it does, it makes you operate at a higher level Absolutely. consistently, you know? Um, 
Last question here. What is the number one place online that people can connect with you the most? Well, anybody listening to this doesn't want to mow your own grass. Just I was going to say you should drop that first. Yeah. <laughs> download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store. Anybody wants to hit me up, Instagram is the best way to reach me, Brian M. Clayton. Just drop me a DM there. Yeah, love it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for for doing this episode and really appreciate all the value, the cheat codes you've given for so many founders and uh, entrepreneurs. It's been so helpful and I know the audience will think so as well. Thanks, Eric. I enjoyed it. Awesome. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.